This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I'm delighted to welcome Joan Williams to the show. Joan will talk about stopping the transmission of bias to create inclusion for real and for good. Joan, I am so thrilled to have you on the show today. Welcome. Delighted to be here, Caroline. You know, you and I were chit-chatting before the show started, and I said, your book and your TEDx talk should be required viewing and reading for all. And I say that with absolute sincerity because I work with so many organizations who are attempting to move the needle with their diversity, equity, and inclusion programs but sadly, it seems like they just have a lot of banter on the website and they're not really making change. So I want to start right there. You know, this is a very important time in the wake of Black Lives Matter and the continuation of the Me Too movement. Talk to me about uh, the first step in identifying bias. Well, there are five basic patterns of bias that we see emerge over and over again. These patterns actually have been documented, many of them for 40 years or more, over and over again. And they're, most of them are triggered by both racial and gender bias. The first pattern we call prove it again. Some groups have to prove themselves more than others. That's triggered by both race and gender, and it's strongest for, um, for Black women. The second is, I call it the tightrope, and that's that, well, to, to describe it really simply, white men need to be authoritative and ambitious in order to succeed, but every other group has more complicated politics because they have to figure out a way to be authoritative and ambitious in a way that seems appropriate for their group by white men, and that's more complicated. The third is the, the strongest form of gender bias. It's drink, gender bias triggered by motherhood, called the maternal wall. Motherhood triggers really strong negative competence and commitment assumptions. Then the fourth is, again, a, a race-gender pattern. It's when bias against a group fuels conflicts within the group. We often heard this called the queen bee effect um, when it's woman on woman, as if this is like just another woman with a personal another personality problem. But really what it happens because in a context where women know there's really only room for one or a few. And so of course they're competitive with each other, uh, uh, with each other to be that one because they're ambitious. And then finally, racial stereotypes that haven't already been picked up. Most racial bias is picked up by prove it again, tightrope and tug of war. But then there is a, there are additional forms of racial bias that aren't. For example, Asian Americans are often seen in the United States as um, good for technical work, but lacking in leadership ability. And um, in what in a white man um, would be seen as a career-enhancing passion for the business is often seen as too emotional in Latinx professionals or even threatening when it comes from a Black man uh, or just inappropriate dragon lady when it comes from uh, an Asian American. So those are the five kinds of gender, uh, gender and racial bias that have been documented over and over and over again. <laughs> 
So what I'm hearing you say is that we need to address systemic racism and gender discrimination by changing systems. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. I mean, the first thing we need to do is understand what bias looks like on the ground. Um, we have uh, people have been wrapped and fascinated by the implicit association test, which measures how fast stereotypes are triggered. And super interesting, doesn't really tell you how gender bias plays out on the ground. That's what the five patterns do. Then the second step, as you point out, is to address systemic racism, you have to change systems. The same is true of systemic sexism. So if your company has a problem um, with diversity and inclusion, it's probably because subtle and not so subtle forms of bias are constantly being transmitted through your basic business systems, through hiring and through performance evaluations and meetings and assignments and all the rest of it. And um, so in order to address systemic bias, you have to eliminate the bias in those business systems. So is is all of this bias training worthless or is there a better way forward? Um, Bias training is actually really important, um, especially if it has two elements. Number one, it describes how bias plays out on the ground, as I just did. And the other important element is that it has people think through strategies that would work for them in their particular context to interrupt specific kinds of bias the next time they see it in talking that through in conversation with their colleagues. That is what we do in what's called the individual bias interrupters workshop. And that's super important. It gives everybody a shared language and some pre-commitments, but to to let systemic bias live on in the systems and rely on individuals to interrupt the bias on top of their regular jobs is probably not going to work in the long term. It'll be better than nothing. But again, to address systemic bias, you have to change the systems. So let's talk about it. We really operate in a culture of meritocracy. Do you think that will change? Um, The especially Americans, uh, most professionals worldwide believe in meritocracy and Americans believe in meritocracy like a religion. Yeah. Um, and I, the most, uh, it's really important for anybody who's interested in diversity and inclusion to, to explain that what's going on now is not a meritocracy. It may be a meritocracy for a certain in-group of white men, but, um, we have research from, uh, 18,000 people that shows that for women and people of color, a lot of what goes on in today's workplaces is not seen as a meritocracy. And there are objective studies that, that show that their perceptions are correct. And so the goal is to interrupt bias in order that we can all take effective steps towards that shared ideal of meritocracy. So perfect segue, because you said interrupt the bias, and you introduced this concept of bias interrupters, this evidence-based metrics-driven tool. So help us understand what that is, because uh, it's so compelling, and I I want our global audience to really understand how these simple tweaks can be implemented for very significant change. 
Let me give you an example. We were working with one organization and they wanted us to take a look at their performance evaluations. Well, now, if you just read the performance evaluations, they look pretty good. But when we did a quantitative analysis, we found really striking racial and gender patterns. And I'll just give you two examples. One was that only 9.5% of the peop- of people of color had leadership mentioned in their performance evaluations. That was over 70 percentage points lower than white women. Um, and uh, But white women at this organization, they had a different problem. They weren't thriving either. Uh, nearly uh, about 18% of them received comments in their performance evaluations that they didn't want to make partner. This was a partnership. So they weren't thriving either. We did two really simple things. We um, helped the uh, organization redesign their performance evaluation form. And we helped them give a simple one-hour training, one hour and we, then we went back in year two, and we found that 100% of people of color had leadership mentioned in their performance evaluations, and that that predicted promotion. And only one woman in the entire organization had a comment that she didn't want to make partner because somebody had had a conversation with her, and she said she didn't want to make partner. They were no longer making assumptions that women didn't want to make partner. And that was in one year. Now, that's not changing solving every problem in one year, but that's making really concrete, measurable impact in one year. And in order to do that, um, you need to be keeping metrics. You need to, you know, if you think about it, what we need to do in the diversity and inclusion context is just use basic business tools. You know, if you had a problem with sales, what you would what what would you do? You would identify metrics, try evidence-based strategies, and then keep on until your metrics improved. That's the way we do things in business. And it's a very effective method method. And that's all bias interrupters is. It basically uses uh, metrics, um, uh, evidence-based tools and persistence to solve this problem, just as businesses have been so effective at solving other problems using those basic business tools. Joan, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So Joan, I'm, I'm fascinated by the concept of bias interrupters. And I want you to, to add another example that I picked up when I read the book about gender neutral job postings. That, uh, that really hit me like a ton of bricks because I've read them, <laughs> you know, I've seen them out there, they're everywhere. And it was such an aha moment that seems easily changed. Um, what do you mean by that, Carolyn? You mean feminine words, masculine words yes, or, or blinding? 
Absolutely. So in, in, in my experience, uh, feminine words, masculine words, sports analogies, uh, descriptors uh, that are mm-hmm. biased toward, you know, a dynamic leader, you know, that's such a, a, a tricky question, right? Because there can be extraordinary leaders that aren't necessarily dynamic by whatever definition that is. So Joan, I'd love for you to take a little deeper dive into general, gender neutral job postings. This is more subtle than it seems. Um, there are some words that are commonly used in job postings that um, people code as masculine words um, because men are expected to be direct, assertive, competitive. And so um, women, on the other hand, are expected to be modest, self-effacing, and nice, good team players, very communal. So those are the stereotypes that are being triggered here. So words like autonomous, outstanding, um, uh, di- direct, active, rational, outspoken, assert, um, using those words in job postings will tend to decrease the number of women applicants because they know that women are not supposed to be a direct, competitive, assertive. And so they think, well, that's not me. And so what you can do is very simple. Just add words that are coded as feminine. You don't have to take out the masculine ones. Just add the feminine ones. Things like committed, responsible, conscientious, honest, cooperate. Adding those words to your job posting, it won't decrease the percentage of women, uh, the men who apply, it won't decrease the percentage of men, but it will will increase the percentage of women. And so that's a really good example of a bias interrupter that is really easy to implement because in most organizations, this can be done through through HR. You don't have to herd uh, 40,000 cats in right. order to do this. I love that. And it just seems like a more balanced approach, right? So depending upon the person that is reading the job description, those nuances will be um, appreciated by whomever whomever's taking it in. And I think it's also uh, serves um, serves employers well in a different way. We tend to think we want someone who is um, assertive, determined, competent, but we also want people who are able to cooperate and are conscientious and are responsible. We want people who are all of those things. And so your job announcement really will, for most of us, be a more accurate reflection of what you're actually looking for as well. You know, I was struck by your table of contents because it is a series of questions that you clearly answer in the content of the book. And you posit that many people wonder these questions, but don't feel comfortable asking. And and I love that premise because you got into my brain, right? I was thinking this and and there you are answering it. So well done you. But I'm going to ask you a question that is one of your table of contents for chapter seven. Can we make progress on diversity, equity, and inclusion without getting rigid and bureaucratic? Yeah, I think this is one of the the, the concerns that people are self-conscious about articulating. Um, and it's a concern that I take very seriously. I actually divide the world into jazz musicians and classical musicians. And um, boy, am I jazz. I am not a class. I do not cross all the T's and dot all the I's, but I go for the main point. Um, 
so uh, remember that experiment I was talking uh, talking about where we helped an organization with their performance evaluations. We made the system quote more bureaucratic. What we what more bureaucratic boiled down to is in sort of instead of like free associating about somebody. Um, they divided jobs into competencies they were looking for and said to people, rate the, this candidate on these competencies and give three pieces of evidence. That is a very, very powerful bias interrupter. Um, uh, that interrupts, for example, the prove it again bias where men tend to be judged on their potential, women on their accomplishments. Um, because you are requiring evidence for everybody. And so is that more bureaucratic? Well, maybe it is, but you know what? It's also more accurate. And uh, so it's not only fairer, it is more accurate. In year two with this quote bureaucratic system, which was not that bureaucratic, um, everybody got more action-oriented feedback. This was going to help them develop. And that included um, people of color got wildly more. White women got a lot more and white men got more too. And so many of the ways that you need to change your business systems in order to interrupt bias, you just need to change your business systems in order to make them more effective. And that's a really important thing to recognize. So Joan, as we wrap, I'd love to learn about two sides of the organization in in regard to how we're moving the needle on diversity goals. So for example, the the top person, let's say they're the CEO of an organization, but it could even be a small company, right? The the owner, the operator of the organization, and then the manager. So what do those two levels of leaders need to do to be more effective with our DEI goals? Well, it's really important that the CEO take some ownership of doing something other than writing nice prose on a website, which is good, but it's also easy and it's also not, not an organizational change mechanism. Um, um, the CEOs, um, number one, need to be um, leading the effort to equalize access to opportunities. What we find in our data sets again and again is that white men report fair access to, to opportunities at nearly 90% wow. um, of them do. But women and people of color, not so much. White women, it was 53% um, reported fair access to equal opportunities. Now, only the CEO can lead the kind of um, systemic change that you need in order to change that because the, you need to change the incentives and the procedures of mid-level and upper-level managers. Only the CEO can do that. The other thing that CEOs have to recognize is that paying a bunch of money to a head of diversity and inclusion um, who has, uh, people often tell me, I have influence but not power. Well, mm. it's great you have influence, but if you don't have the power to change performance evaluations, to change um, uh, uh, how hiring is done, to interrupt those biases at a structural level, you ain't going nowhere fast. And so it's really important for the CEO to recognize that the head of DEI has to have 
um, joint ownership with some of those systems. For managers, it's much more straightforward. And in fact, the last chapter of the book provides 15 steps that any manager can take um, that will really help level the playing field for his team. And by the way, increase the effectiveness of his or her team. Joan, I learned so much from you, and I'm not kidding. This should be required reading, so let me tell the world about the book. It's called Bias Interrupted, Creating Inclusion for Real and for Good. I I can't tell you how excited I am about this because we need this. You know, there's a lot of talk and there's very little action, and this book is filled with, with real practical tools, wisdom, and it's easy to implement. I shouldn't say easy, right? Everything needs intentionality, but these are things that one can put into action today. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. I wish you great success. Take good care. If you like the show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review because this helps new listeners find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.